This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. We have seen a non-competitive cancer occur as a result of a bargaining change. It's not good for the game. It's not how our game should be played. And it's something that when we look at, it's one of the greatest problems in Major League Baseball today. Welcome back to The Athletic Baseball Show. I'm Evan Drellick, senior writer covering all of the labor negotiation fun in the sport. I'm actually at the owners' meetings this week. We were at the general managers' meetings last week in California. This week, the owners' meetings are going on in Chicago. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, is supposed to speak tomorrow, probably a midday press conference, so we'll see what kind of news that ends up producing. We don't have a title yet for this segment of the Athletic Baseball Show. I think if we were being really lame and just kind of leaning into it, we'd go with labor of glove. I like that. I think it's kind of painfully bad, and I don't mind being a little self-effacing. But this is a segment we're doing around labor and some of the structural topics in the sport. And we've got two segments for you today. First up is the Athletics' Eno Saris, who's going to talk to us about wins above replacement, or war. And then we've got a round table discussing tanking in the sport. Why are we talking about war? Well, last week in collective bargaining talks, MLB made a proposal of the players to change the sport's arbitration system. Arbitration, if you remember, is the process by which most players see their first significant paydays. Once a player reaches three years of service time, or sometimes two, in a few rarer cases, they can argue for a higher salary to a third party. They can't do that in any of the earlier years. They can ask for a higher salary, but they're at the mercy of the team. The team wants to pay them the league minimum. The team can do that. Not every player who reaches arbitration eligibility goes to hearing. Often the player and the team will just settle on a number, but sometimes it does go to a hearing and it's messy. The player argues for why he should be paid more. The teams essentially sit there and trash their own player, and some teams are a little bit more gentle about that than others. MLB wants to do away with that system, and what they propose is having players be paid directly based on performance using a calculation of wins above replacement. The union is very unlikely to go for this. The arbitration system is one of the player's greatest tools, one of the biggest victories they've had over time because it allows them room to argue for a different salary. Under MLB's proposal, the players wouldn't have any wiggle room. You can't sit there and say, no, I actually deserve more money. Still, there's at least an interesting intellectual exercise. If you were to move to a system like this, what would the advantages or disadvantages of using war be? And specifically, Fangraph's calculation of war. Eno used to work at Fangraph's. He does a great job for The Athletic. He's here to educate me and all of us on how war works and how we should look at this proposal. All right, Eno, thanks for joining us. Let's start off with the basics, because even me, who's been covering the sport for a while, I I don't have any underlying understanding of of this, and I, I imagine most listeners don't either. How would you explain what war is good for? Uh, the the general war, not without not with any specificity to F war, B war, mm-hmm. or a type of war, just war in general. How do you like to use it? How do people believe it should be used? 
I think the 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 un, there is an underlying brilliance. There is an underlying smart thing, which is that you're trying to convert all the thing, the things that happen on the field into one currency runs, and then decide how good you each player is at each of the things they have to do on the field. So you can include fielding and base running and hitting and all of these things and put them into one place and then get one number out of it. I like that because there are times when you like, let's say you're looking at the MVP race this year. How do I compare Fernando Tatis, who plays shortstop sometimes and outfield sometimes, to Bryce Harper uh, and Juan Soto? So it allows us to kind of compare different players. And I don't think it's as precise as some people think, um, which is meaningful to the rest of our discussion. But it's, it's really good at sort of grouping players. I mean, like this guy... You know, Mike Trout, ten win player. That's like a that's like awesome, awesome. That's like that's like Hall of Fame type stuff. Uh, four win player. That's like an all star. A two win player. That's average. So it just helps us kind of uh, group and collect and and put everybody on the same baseline. People get really hung up on the replacement uh, aspect of it, and I actually don't think that's as important. That's just the baseline. If you want the baseline to be average, you can you can have a, basically the same stat. It'll just be slightly different in terms of volume, but. You can, whatever your baseline is, it's just a common baseline. Right. I know Bill James has been critical of war at times. Um, Is it any more or less relevant or relied upon than it was five years ago, right? I remember the Miguel Cabrera, Mike Trout MVP debate. I think it was 2013. And uh, have people moved any further into it or away from it in the last several years? I think it's become ensconced. It's you know, it's 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 a, a rote now. You know, I think for most voters, Hall of Fame uh, or award winning, they're gonna check the war. You know, they may not use it as the only number, and that might be where we're kind of getting to now, where more advanced voters are starting to maybe dissect it a little bit more and go back to using more than one number. Uh, but everyone looks at war, so it's it's part of the process, and you know. There's no more better proof of that than it's somehow become involved in the labor process now. <laughs> right, right. And we're, 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 I think, a question away from getting to it. How varied are the different ways to calculate it? Is it good that there are different calculations? I know teams have their own proprietary mm-hmm. uh, means of doing it, and sometimes I think they call it by different terms. Is it the case that you you would want to have a consensus, or do you? is there a benefit derived from having different forms of this? I think it's part of the growth process. Um, you know, for for as an example, RBI has changed. The, the definition of what an RBI is has changed multiple times over the course of the history of baseball. So it's not like these other stats that we that we have are sacrosanct. You know, they they sometimes change too. Um, but I think it it probably would be better, honestly, if there was a consensus. Uh, it's part of the growth process right now. We're different sites have made different decisions it's a little bit how like you said the different teams have made their own decisions about what things how things are valued and and how they should value them so um maybe it's inevitable that you're never going to have uh, one one number that everyone agrees on i i do also don't think that it means that war is useless <laughs> um because it's a framework and there are these these are kind of slight differences where you know Baseball Reference War does a different thing with defense, has their own defensive number. Fangrass has their own defensive number. Um, the biggest difference you'll see is on the pitching side. That's where there's almost philosophical differences uh, between the different wars. Yeah, so may- maybe now is the right time to explain 
what F war uh, in specific Fangraphs calculation of war, what distinguishes that from the other prominent ones, and then secondary to that, what was your reaction to hearing that MLB wanted to include war and F war specifically? Um, so uh, the the thing about pitching is that you know when you've got a guy when you got a guy on the mound and he strikes somebody out and he walks somebody, it's pretty easy it's pretty easy to figure out that the pitcher did most of that. Maybe the umpire had a little bit to do with it. Maybe the catcher had a little bit to do with it with framing and so on. But the pitcher mostly was in charge of the strikeout and the walk where all the sites differ after that is what happens on the ball in play. So once the pitcher allows a ball in play, baseball reference says, "Mm, uh, here's a general sense of how good the defense is on that team. And so we're just going to give, we're going to say, okay, they have a good defense behind them, and you'd expect them to give up this many, many balls in play, and so this is their war, you know? Um, and this is this is what you'd expect them to do on balls in play. The problem with that is that some teams, even a good defensive team, will play poor, poorly defensively behind one pitcher and not another. You know, defense isn't the same every night. What Fangraphs has done is throw the baby out with the bathwater in a way and say, we don't care about balls in play. All those the balls in play that the pitcher that we don't care about those we, we're not gonna that's not included in our war. The only ball in play that's included in our war is home runs. So we're saying the pitcher can control strikeouts, walks, and homers, and that's it. And so we're gonna base our war on that. Um, the old dips theory, right? Yeah, the, the, that's the, 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 the idea that pitchers don't have much command over the ball in play. The problem is, um, I think more advanced we get in our pitching analysis, the more we realize that that's not true across the board. For example, we know that there are ground ball pitchers and fly ball pitchers. So we know that pitchers have some effect on what happens with the ball in play. So then, so then when you hear that MLB is A, considering warp generally, okay, mm-hmm. but B, proposes using F4 specifically, uh, or at least that was the first one that they mentioned. What's the reaction to that? Uh, so separate. So two two reactions. Both of them pretty negative. Um, one is that uh, um, just there are there are there are flaws in war, and that's part of the growth process I was talking about with these different sites trying to figure it out, right? And every I think every war undervalues certain parts of parts of the population and overvalues other parts. So I think that's true. Uh, no matter what war you choose. And the thing that I hate about it is that it's one number. And, you know, in business, uh, in our business, uh, if our value just comes down to one number, um, there is no arguing. You know, as bad as, as arbitration is, you have a representative that speaks on your behalf and goes into that meeting and says, oh, I know his war is low, but his, that defensive stat is bad. Look at these other defensive stats, you know? And at least somebody can argue for you. If you go in there and UZR, which is the defensive component of fan graphs, which I think is maybe the worst defensive metric in out there, and UZR says, if you're Mitch Hanniger and you go in there and it says, you are one of the worst outfielders in baseball this year, here's your, here's your salary for the year. <laughs> And then you can't say, well, my outs above average says I'm I'm above average, says I'm good. You know, DRS says I'm not as bad as, as UZR says, like, but you can't do that because now we've said that this is the one number. Um, and then also, if you don't build in a good process, you're still going to haggle because 
there's like a multiplier, right? There was this is your yep. reporting. There was a multiplier. You're gonna haggle about the the multiplier every year, or they're gonna ensconce the multiplier, and then the the players are gonna get killed. You know, five years from now, they'll be like, "Why are we still using this five year old multiplier?" Right. I, I wonder if what kind of room for manipulation. Presumably, in a system like this, both sides would would, would have input and, and be able to see the formula that's used. But a, if there's room for manipulation. You know, if a team knows, and they would know, the exact formula for how ba- the the arbitration uh, replacement version of war is calculated, well, couldn't they um, do things with usage on the field that would uh, potentially impact the player? Um, and then, are there are there certain players who would very obviously be hurt by by F war in specific? Um, yeah, so FWAR throws out shifts on the, that UZR component, the defensive component, throws out shifts. Um, and so you could manipulate when you shift your defenders. <laughs> hmm. um, and that would be very hard for anybody to spot. <laughs> like, right. oh, you only shifted them. And, and like a tanking team, you know, suddenly shifts on every play. Sure. So that, that you know, or or doesn't shift ever, or like whatever it is, they, right there is like a, a way that they can manipulate it. Um, hmm. There, there's been a, a the the one thing about manipulation though is that people there's been debate about whether or not they're manipulating arbitration now, and right. one of the ways you can look at it is the modern bullpen. It's 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 so hard because analytics say that the game is often decided in the sixth or seventh inning, right? So. You often want your best reliever to pitch in the second, seventh inning. Yep. However, if that is a young pitcher who's throwing 99 and he's your best pitcher and that's great and it looks good and the analytics say it's a great idea, that pitcher's not going to make as much money as the guy who's throwing the ninth and getting saves. Um, right. And 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 so War would reward that ninth that that seventh inning pitcher a little bit better, um, but. Also, just what is the goal here for the players? Yes, it would align arbitration a little bit better with free agency because free agency is based closer on war, you know. And so, you like my example is Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario would make less money in arbitration, and so he would stick with the Twins longer, but he would make less money. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So. I don't think there's that much value to the players in this in this proposal. Um, last thing, let's say there was a world where the players and the owners owners agreed that we should have a basically a, a pay for play system. Uh, you know, something of a, a direct payment for whatever you perform in that year. It's not going to happen. The players are not going to agree to that. Is that the just owners have free sol- agency every year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. The 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 so it's fiction but if if you were to have this um what statistics or or set of statistics would you choose would it would it be war weighted in one way and and a few others in accompaniment you know or or is that kind of impossible to answer 
I actually think that the uh, current arbitration, because what you're trying to do is approximate, uh, like what I was taught was that you're trying to get sort of 40%, 60%, 80% in the three years of arbitration. You're supposed to get 40% of your market value in the first year, 60%, 80%, then you get to be a free agent, right? Yeah, Uh, there's some disagreement about those numbers, but yes, I've heard that there's the the rule of thumb with that. Yeah, right. So so if the idea is that we're trying to approximate uh, market value, then what happens when uh, an agent talks with a team is uh, we should be trying to kind of uh, mimic that. And so I think the arbitration process, as much as people hate it, I think it's actually decent because there are both teams go to the table, the the, the agent goes to the table, the team goes to the table and they argue. Um, And uh, I would just say, uh, you know, get better arbitrators like you know teach them better about war and let there be all the types of war and just teach the teach the arbitrators there are there there is this um there is a precedent of this in other parts of business where there are arbitrators you can have sort of uh you can have classes for the arbitrators you can kind of teach them in what they're doing they don't have to just be lawyers that get drop down out of outer space and and just point at a number so I would just say, you know, educate the arbitrators on the different w- facets of war. Let every war in. Let every stat cast stat in, and uh, and let them duke it out just as if it was a contract negotiation. You know, thanks a lot. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm not going to blame individual teams for taking advantage of the existing rules. That's the job of the team. You've got to sit there and wade through the water you're swimming in. And, and so the reality of it is it's not about teams' individual conduct. It's about what we need to do holistically to remedy the competitiveness of our game and return it. The voice you just heard was that of Scott Boris, agent to the stars, who was speaking at the general manager's meetings last week in Carlsbad, California. Boris has a pet theory that tanking was really incentivized coming out of the 2012 CBA, uh, the negotiations that took place in 2011 for the 2012 to 2016 deal. Prior to 2012, there was no draft cap in baseball. There were recommendations the commissioner's office made for each pick signing bonus, and the commissioner's office would be unhappy if teams went over that uh, prescribed amount. But a team could still give a drafted player whatever it wanted to. Small market teams didn't like this. Uh, They thought it could give big market teams an advantage. And Bud Selig, as a commissioner, a former owner of the Brewers, he was often thinking of the interests of smaller market teams. So in 2011, for that 2012-2016 deal, the players and the owners agreed to a change. There's now a hard cap 
in amateur draft spending. Technically, you can go over it, but the penalties to do so are so onerous that no team is going to do it. And what this did for Boris, what his pet theory is, is that it created certainty for teams. They knew that if they had the number one pick, now they knew they were most likely going to be able to sign that player. An agent like Boris couldn't stand there and say, well, you're not taking my guy number one overall, or you're not going to sign him at number one overall unless you give me, let's say, $10 million. Now you know, and every team knows, how much money they have to spend in the draft. And the other thing that changed at this time, going into that 2012 deal, was the way MLB handed out draft picks as compensation for free agents. In the past, it used to be that if you went out and signed or traded for a decent but not great player and then they became a free agent, that player would bring back a draft pick in return. So you had a team like the Red Sox when Theo Epstein was there uh, in, in the early aughts go out and get players that they knew would get them draft picks back. But the, the system changed to the qualifying offer. So now if you wanted to get compensation in the draft when a free agent left, you had to make them a one-year offer of a high average annual value, you know, a high salary. I forget exactly what it started at, but you know, the high teens, mid to high teens for one year. So fewer players were going to get this type of offer, and fewer players were going to therefore bring back draft pick compensation. So it became harder to get draft picks, and draft picks, some would argue, including Boris, became more valuable. And that's why, Boris would argue, tanking took such a prominent role in the sport, why you had teams like the Astros and the Cubs coming out right away in 2012, starting in 2012, embarking on these tanking projects because the only way to get draft capital was to lose. You couldn't do it through signing uh, players anymore as you had in the past. And there was cost control now around those draft picks. And if teams are tanking, if they're going after losing to better their draft position, well, they're not going to spend on free agents and they're not going to try to win. So that brings us to the current negotiations. The union's trying to put in mechanisms to address tanking. Uh, They want to introduce comp picks for teams that receive revenue sharing, so the smaller market teams, who finish above 500 or or who get to the postseason, so that teams have a reason to win, say, 75 games instead of 60. Uh, They also, the players, want to put in a formula for draft order that's 60% based on record and 40% based on your market size. Right now, it's 100% record. You finish with the worst record in baseball, you're getting the number one pick overall. Uh, And whether those changes are made, we're going to see. That's what the next couple weeks, if not couple months, are going to be about if if we end up having a lockout. MLB has also proposed preventing a team from picking in the top five more than two years in a row. The players have proposed not allowing a team to pick in the top five consecutively at all. So to talk a little bit more about tanking and what we've seen it do in the sport and how it's worked in a few different cases, we've got an athletic roundtable. We've got Dan Connolly, who covers the Orioles, Jake Kaplan, who covers the Astros, and Sahadev Sharma, who covers the Cubs. It seems to me these teams all have something in common or had something in common when they started this rebuild project. One, a desperate fan base. Two, a bad roster. And three, at least a middling 
farm system. But you guys can tell me whether that runs through each of your teams. Sahadev, with the Cubs, what was the situation they found themselves in when they began their great tanking project? Yeah, they, this was a new front office, a highly touted front office with Theo Epstein bringing in Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod. Uh, there was a lot of fanfare and everybody was basically, especially fans, were just all in on whatever their plan was. And their plan was full on tanking. Right. And and I remember back then they they had the luxury of zero pressure on them. They didn't have to win. They could go all in on this because fans were aboard. Media was pretty much on board at the time. Uh, and and the owner was on board. The owner brought them in and, and said, this is what you get. You have the luxury of multiple years of losing and, and you can do that and, and just have a plan. And and that's what it was. They, they looked at their system as pretty barren at the time. And, you know, I think they they were wrong on some evaluations there, but they were mostly correct. There, there wasn't a lot of depth and, and they came in, uh, you know, guns a blazing ready to just just tear down everything and build what what they saw uh as the right thing to do and you know what it worked right the the cubs hadn't won in what about a century at that point and the the astros had never won um jake what was the situation about the astros that you remember yeah well first off they they had a new owner right jim crane had just bought the team from drayton mclean in, I want to say it was May of 2011. And he hires Jeff Luno to be the GM in, in that December. Um, and the team just didn't have really anything going for it. I mean, even before they were officially had this strategy to, to tank and rebuild, they lost 106 games, right, in 2011. So not much of a farm system, no, not much of a major league roster. Uh, hadn't been in the playoffs since, since 2005. Uh, so really, all of the above uh, is contributed to why they went that way. Um, you know, I mean, they you know certain players like Jose Altuve, uh, Dallas Keuchel, George Springer did come out of the the rebuild of players who were there 2011 or earlier. But um, I think that's another part of why this is prevalent: is it tanking and, and rebuilding gives you know teams a chance to just like play everyone uh give playing time to guys who wouldn't get playing time otherwise and see who pops also i think with the cubs and the astros they had the luxury of being first movers in this strategy right yeah you had you had the brand new 2012 cba that scott boris uh has uh, very publicly trashed in, in recent times and then we have the more recent case of the orioles run by the ex-astros executives michael Elias and sigma Dell. Dan, is, is there anything different about the Orioles situation compared to the other two? Well, for one, they poached from both the Houston Astros and Chicago Cubs, the Cubs with their, you know, <laughs> with Brandon Hyde and some of their field staff. And, and both because both organizations have been successful. And I think the one thing that people don't realize about the Orioles or remember about the Orioles is that from 2012 to 2016, they had the best record in the American League. I mean, they were a good team. They got to the you know, American League uh, Championship Series once, made the playoffs three times in five years thought they could extend that and it was a terrible decision to try and extend that and, and they even tried to extend it in 2018 going into that year signing Andrew Kashner signing Alex Cobb and uh, and not being honest with themselves and so then they found themselves in the middle of the year terrible you know falling backward everybody getting older and then they had to trade off guys who they should have traded off a year or two previous to that the Zach Britton's the Manny Machado's the Kevin Gaussman they traded they traded Jonathan Scope didn't get a whole lot back for him 
And then at the end of that year in 2018, John Angelos got rid of both of both Buck Walter and Dan Duquette, who kind of arc, were the architects of that. Um, and so the rebuild started with another group. And now Mike Elias comes in, takes a look at it and realizes that a lot of things need to be blown up, um, international in particular, analytics in particular. Um, and so he kind of pushed towards his strengths on those things, on those scouting and analytics. And they have them where they are now. But as, as Jake pointed out, the interesting thing here is now everybody's doing it or, or half the teams or a third of the teams, whatever you want to say, are doing it. And the Orioles are in the American League East trying to do what was successful in 2012 or 2015 and they're trying to do it in 2021. And that makes it a lot more difficult. And they're, you know, they're trying to bring fresh looks to this. Uh, but really what they're doing is getting more and more losses and just kind of building draft capital. Yeah, it would have been too crowded probably to bring Matt Gelbin to this, but there are teams that have done it. Two of the teams represented here, because Jake and Sahad, if you're on the team, won World Series. You know, the Phillies had a rebuild and did not, but we're not, we don't have uh, Matt Gelbin with us to talk about the Phillies. Let's go to how it was received, how this whole plan was received, and how it worked, and maybe the reception evolves over time. But with the Cubs, for example, I think if – I think back to 2012, the feeling was, oh, they're going to win multiple world titles, World Series championships. This isn't going to be uh, just one, even though the one was very important in their franchise history. Were fans always on board, Sahadev? And how do people look at it now, whatever we are, five years later, since they won that title and the Cubs are now rebuilding? Again. Yeah, I mean, it. People were on board for the most part at the time. Yeah, there were people that were anti-tanking and just didn't like the feeling of losing intentionally. You know, competitive sports, losing intentionally just seems anathema to it all, right? And and I don't think uh, when they hired Dale Swaim to be the manager that he was, you know, he's a really competitive guy. This guy wasn't on board for this. He was trying to win games. But they just didn't give him a talented enough roster to do that. The promise was building a draft and development machine. They didn't They didn't deliver on that promise, right? They delivered on the World Series. They nailed uh, Scott Feldman trade. They traded Scott Feldman and uh, Steve Clevenger, a backup catcher, for Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope. They don't win a World Series without Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope. They don't make multiple playoff runs without those guys. They traded Andrew Kashner for Anthony Rizzo. We all know how good Anthony Rizzo is. They nailed pretty much every first-round draft pick. Not everyone turned into a star, but when they were those tanking years, when they were getting those high draft picks, they hit on those. They all became major leaguers, right? The year before they arrived, before Theo and Jed and McLeod arrived, it was Javi, and then it was uh, Bryant, Schwarber. I think it was Elmora, Bryant, Schwarber is the way it went, their, their draft picks, and then Ian Happ. Did everyone turn into a superstar? No, but all of those guys contributed to playoff teams, uh, Chris Bryant was a huge part of their success, obviously, MVP. Uh, but And then they started spending money. They spent on the right guys. They missed on on Jason Hayward, but they got, they got it right with John Lester. They got it right with Ben Zobrist. Uh, they made smaller trades. Everything seemed to work out. The Kyle Hendricks move, I believe that was for Ryan Dempster. But this was not supposed to happen. What's happening right now, what happened uh, at the trade deadline when, when Jed sold off, he sold, that, that was the right move at the time. 
but he had to sell off because they had nobody coming through the system anymore. Nobody could supplement uh, the the talent that they had around them. They stopped developing talent. They had they fell behind the times. Uh, while you know, I think Theo called it the winners curse or uh, winner's trap where you think you're doing everything right because you keep winning but they fell behind the times when it came to player development you can uh, you can look at their drafts and say they made some mistakes there but I think the biggest downfall was they never adjusted with player development and fans look back there there's a certain segment of fans that are just happy with uh, one world series and and uh, hey that's <laughs> with the way it was going before they should be happy with uh, one world series they made the playoffs a lot uh, but it, I think there's a certain level of disappointment that there wasn't there weren't more players coming through the system where's the next Chris Bryant where's the next Javi Baez the Astros haven't really had that problem right Jake five straight ALCSs uh, they they both deliver on the World Series, which which we know comes with uh, some nuance to it at this point, but they also de- deliver on the farm system that keeps pumping out players, which I assume yeah. has made Astros fans very very happy. I I'm not as in touch with them as I used to be. You're you're a little bit more on the scene than I am. Yeah, maybe we should have had Scott Feldman on since he he factored into both teams in this era. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the the. Big difference with the Astros and the Cubs. Well, first off, any like the Ast- the success of the Astros rebuild obviously is going to be overshadowed by all the self-inflicted wounds with the cheating scandal and everything else, right? But you know, if you do look at it like where their organization stands from a baseball roster standpoint, the big difference between them and the Cubs is the the play they did deliver on the player the draft and develop aspect of it, whereas they're still churning out. Um, you know, a potential starting center fielder this year in Jake Myers, you know, a guy in Jeremy Pena who could be their starting shortstop next year, right when Correa is hitting for agency. So they they seem to do a good job of having the next wave ready to go. Um, you know, it they don't spend money in free agency. Like, they don't do the long-term deals. They don't they didn't do the John Lester contract, right? They Their biggest free agent contract was four years. Um, and 52 million, you know, so they, they, that's the big difference is they, they didn't want to build a team through free agency. And I think that's both been proven to be successful and also frustrating for fans who become attached to George Springer, Dallas Keuchel, Garrett Cole, Carlos Correa. And then, you know, when they hit free agency, there's no chance, basically no chance they're coming back. So, um, it's different. Um, I think that's probably the, the biggest difference in the Astros and the Cubs, um, you know, they also obviously they made a few shrewd, shrewd trades as well, right? They were at the forefront of the track man and edgertronic cameras and technology. And, you know, they they made some smart buy low trades on guys that worked out. Um, you know, will they be able to keep it up with with new management and, and James Click and, and um, you know, a, a different kind of era? We'll see. But um, I think that's that's the big biggest difference is the the more I guess disciplined you could argue but also I think fans probably get frustrated every year when their their favorite players hit for agency and sign somewhere else Dan is it working in Baltimore are fans on board with this how long is this supposed to go before the team looks I don't know like a major league team um where, where, where would we stand I think that's the whole deal here with the fans is that they are on board with it they understood what this what what happened 
you know, before the Orioles were good in 2012 and through 2016, they had 14 straight losing seasons. And the year that that started, the previous season, they went wire to wire in 1997 and lost in the LCS. So there's been, it was a lot of losing. And then there was a lot of different plans and none of them were truly plans. And I think that's what really frustrated Orioles fans is that there really was never a plan. It was, it was always kind of by the seat, figure it out. Will owner Peter Angelos approve that? Okay, he will. Now we go to this. There was never really truly a plan. There was never really truly a budget. Now with when Elias came over, he had a plan. And his plan was, was several pronged, but one was to establish an international pipeline. Uh, the Orioles were the absolute worst. They were 31 of, of 30 in how bad they were. Um, they've never actually produced a Venezuelan from signing to the major leagues in the history of the organization, which is crazy. Um, and so they had to build that. I mean, they weren't even spending any money in the Dominican. So that was one. Two, they had to do something with their analytics. You know, obviously bringing Sigmidel over and, and just the overall interest level that Mike Elias had with analytics, obviously strengthened that and strengthened it quickly. And they wanted to better the farm system. And the farm system, the problem with the farm system is when Dan Duquette was running the team and he saw, you know, an opportunity here, whether it was the years they made the playoffs or the years they were getting close to made the playoffs, they traded away young guys. They traded away Jake Area. They traded away Eduardo Rodriguez. They traded away Josh Hader. They traded away, you know, Stephen Broad and Zach Davies. All these guys for veteran reinforcements. And then they didn't have anything in the system. So, you know, that was a big focus for Elias as well, is to get better in the system, trade away some guys like Dylan Bundy and, and Jose Iglesias and whomever they had to try and, and better that system. And that system right now in Baseball America is ranked number one overall, mainly because of two players, but still ranked number one overall. So there is a plan in place, and Orioles fans are excited about that plan in place. The only thing is, they lost 110 games again this year. They're, yeah. They don't seem to be getting better. And, you know, they're in the American League East where there's four quality teams or 90-win teams in that division. This isn't the the AOS. This isn't the NL Central. And so they don't just have to be good. they got to be great to even get into the playoffs from this division. And that's the problem because we don't know how many years that's going to be. And two, three, four more years, I think, seems you know logical or possible. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I think I'm allowed to get on a soapbox for a minute here and then I'm going to open the, Do it. I'm gonna open the floor and, and you guys can uh, tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong or, or point out some uh, nuance to me. 
I think tanking at this point is a marketing effort, right? Dan, you, you, you talk about the fact that there was no plan before. Certainly that's true, and I think certainly the Orioles, just as the Astros did, and probably the Cubs as well, leveraged that fact. But you can put in a plan that involves spending money. Um, and so what, you've, what I think has happened in any of these teams that have tanked is you have a GM and an ownership group selling a fan base on the notion that ownership should not spend money. And beyond that, that it should not field a competitive product. And, and that those things are actually good for the fan. It, it's, to me, a transference of responsibility. Instead of an owner saying, I need to invest in my product, I need to put a winning product on the field, you, the fan, should suffer for some indeterminate period of time so that I can build a roster that is cheaper. right? Because that is what, when we talk about building through a farm system, and, and avoiding free agency, as the Astros have largely done, even though they've given out some pretty big extensions. The appeal of that is these players are cost-controlled and cost-controlled for a very long time. And then the asterisk to all this, I think, is the rules allow this and encourage it, right? The rules in 2012 did change, did make it more valuable, uh, did make draft picks more valuable, made it harder for teams to acquire draft picks. It used to be that big market teams had, had another way of getting draft picks. You could sign some middling guy and then let him go and he would be a, you know, you get a comp B pick, right? The Red Sox used to do uh, plenty of that. So I say all this to ask, was this how it had to be? Um, are fan suckers in this setup? Well, I'll say this. I mean, I, I don't think it had to be that way for the Cubs. I, at the time, I probably thought it, it that that was the only path or the best path just because there had been so much losing. And frankly, I hadn't been around enough. I was just starting my career as a reporter. I didn't know enough about front offices and how they work and, and all those little details uh, that – I have a lot more knowledge a decade later on how these things work. And, and, and like you said, like, it's kind of a marketing thing. They're, they're trying to pull one over on us at times. Uh, They didn't have the money that they thought they were going to have early on. That's, I think has become clear. Uh, They wanted to go harder after Johannes Cespedes. They wanted to go harder after you Darvish. Uh, There were other players that, that they were trying to be aggressive with that, ownership just didn't feel the need to go above and beyond to get these players because the plan essentially was, yeah, well, we're not going to win now, but this guy could help us if we, if we want to get to a winning uh, record in 14 or 15, this guy could help us. And, and ownership was like, we'll spend then essentially. And, and, you know, just stick to this plan. And I, so that's why I'm very curious to see how this is executed now. Right. We're being told that this isn't a long rebuild. We're being told that money will be spent. I want to know what that means. I'm fine with them not going after Carlos Correa. I think that can make sense for them not going after the top free agents. Uh, but I do think you have to spend money. I, I do think having a, you know, a sub 150, I, I think the Cubs should be at 200 or above all, all the time. I also know they probably won't be at the end of this winter when spring training starts. If they get to 180, I that's my in my head. That's where I think they should aim for realistically. If I if they won't get to 200, I say 180, and I'd even be surprised if they get there. But my point is, they they need to just spend. They have the money to do it. They have the flexibility. 
I understand wanting to keep that flexibility for when you really believe you're in the middle of a cycle. I can understand that competitively. So that's why I say, okay, don't go hard after Robbie Ray. Don't go hard after Gaussman or or Correa. If that's what you truly believe, if you believe you can get some players on one and two year deals, which I think teams have proven you can, there's a way to flex your financial might and get things done. Uh, if they do that, uh, that'd be nice to see them spending again. We've been told they will. I, I still just want to see it. The Wade Miley move was was a nice sign in, in in a way of taking advantage of a team that is dumping salary and being that team that says we can handle that. That's just $10 million. That's nothing for the Cubs. And that's how it should be. That's how the Cubs should treat things. Uh, they haven't for years. They squandered some very winnable years because they were pinching pennies and they stuck tightly to a budget that I don't think I think you you should I understand budgets are real and these are things that owners are going to put in place but I think they need to be flexible when you're in the middle of a contention cycle and the Cubs the Cubs did not take advantage of that cycle in my opinion yeah is I mean would either Jake or Dan disagree that at the heart of this is an ownership group that doesn't want to spend or in the case of, I think the Orioles is just a, a, a single family of ownership. Well, I think it's ownership and the front offices, right? They're they're all out to be the most efficient, right? Who can be the win the efficiency belt of every year and spend spend the most uh, wisely, I guess, in their minds. But I think to answer your earlier question, um, I don't think it ha- had to be this way with tanking. But I think you know especially not to that extent that we saw in the last eight, 10 years. But I think there's, there always teams are always going to be looking for the next inefficiency. And if you plug the tanking hole, you're probably opening something else up too. Um, but yes, ultimately I agree. I think, you know, it, it does come down to like, you could just be bad and also spend money, but they're choosing not to so that they can make more money down the road. Well, that, that's actually right? an interesting question is, is what is the line of trying? And that's something I've never been able to quite. I remember years ago talking to another GM about uh, the Astros and they were saying that they wouldn't they wouldn't go that far. Right. And the whole argument with the Astros, and I guess tanking in general becomes, well, why are you going to spend any money to win 75 games? Uh, 75 isn't going to get you into the playoffs, right? But it goes back to some sort of semblance of trying and something right. about the notion this is a sport where people are competing against each other and you're selling a product. Um, so th- there's some demonstration of effort that I think should be required um, right. or that people want it, it, to see. And it's also not like... You know, you could say tanking for the number one pick, but it's not like baseball is basketball where the number one pick is the, you know, potential like you. you it's more of a sure thing. Right. When you're getting a Zion Williamson, number one versus baseball, it could be some high school left hander that never makes it. And you might the best player in the draft might be the fifth pick. Right. So, yeah, I I, I agree. Like, what is what is the line? Um, you know, I don't I, I obviously the Astros weren't trying to be you know weren't trying to spend just to spend they were bottoming out but they probably could have done it by spending more and you know maybe they would have been in the same spot at the the end I also like I'm curious Evan if you think this you know obviously the Orioles are are heavy tank right now right but has the has this gotten better in the last few years where you've gotten these teams that did tank come out 
into the more trying again. And because they went through it, they won't have to do it again for a while. And maybe the Orioles and I don't know if the Diamondbacks are even tanking what they're doing. But it seems to be less, there's less of these teams now. Um, If you think that's means anything or is that just, this is like a snapshot in time. Well, I'd say, you have, you have, where do you draw the line? You know, it, the Phillies, I think the Phillies would be said to be tanking. When is it a rebuild and when is it a, a full-on tank job, right? If, right. if what the Cubs are doing, right. as Sahad have explained, is not uh, a full-on tanking, I, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see how many years they end up being terrible and how many years in a row they end up picking um, you know, near the top of the draft. I guess the Pirates are, are tanking. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um but it, it, you, you, you'd almost have to establish some criteria uh, right. uh, for it. Um, in, in Baltimore, Dan, do you think it had to be this way? I do, and that's because to this extent, I, I feel like the team had so many issues, and the analytics they completely ignored, and international they completely ignored. You know, they they did half of of a pipeline they didn't even have. And so they had to step all the way back and restart. And obviously that's a large part was marketing. Hey, we're giving you a plan. And that's kind of what they were delivering. But honestly, a lot of it was they were just really bad in almost every level here. And it didn't make any sense to spend money. Like you had said, you know, what does it do to to 75 games? that doesn't make you competitive. 85 games doesn't, 85 wins doesn't make them competitive in this division. They have to be a 90-win team to be competitive in this division. And so I think it did have to be a pretty major tank job to really um, kind of start from the to, – to allow them to trade Dylan Bundy, to allow them to trade certain guys and say, hey, you know, we know we're going to be bad, but this is the only way we can really build that system is to go through trades and to go through, you know, the the number one picks, number two picks, whatever it might be. The problem is, will it work? And – you know, because so many other teams have tried it or are trying it, I think the chances of it working are less. And I think, and that's the real concern in Baltimore. So if you had yourself a salary floor and you made the Orioles spend a hundred million and they got lucky on a couple guys, then they could trade them. Or maybe they could, you know, luck into a wild card team or a, a team that's pretty good right now. They have no shot. They're not going to spend a lot of money this year again. And they have no shot period. And so I think that if, you know, if there is some type of salary floor that they make them spend a decent amount of money, that could help them in the rebuild because simply it could give them some better players because they're forced to spend that money. Right. And and this brings us to looking forward, whether you guys think something should change here. One of the more interesting MLBPA proposals uh, so far would give – teams that receive revenue sharing incentive not to sell off uh you would get a comp pick in the draft if you finish over 500 or if you finish in the postseason and then the other element that uh, there's several involved here but the revenue sharing between the clubs if the clubs are able to make money without fielding a competitive product well then you're kind of disincentivizing uh spending right and so it used to be in the sport that the only way you'd make money is if you won. But there's so much money going through central revenue now and revenue sharing that you can be terrible and still make money on an individual club basis, right? On an operating basis, year to year. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think what we think of as like did the rebuild work and what the teams think of did the rebuild work are way different, right? They want to make money, right? Like they They want to win like, and make money. Yeah. Yeah, but like if they don't win and make money, they're they're probably going to sleep at night, right? I I think that's I think that's right. Um so do 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 having seen this, do you think something needs to change? You don't have to go into the specific of what, but is there a feeling that the sport would be better off I guess I haven't met anybody who thinks, no, we should preserve tanking. <laughs> Tanking's great. Let's have more well, tanking in baseball. Uh, maybe you guys have met that person. Maybe you are that person. I'll, I just don't I'll know say this. I, I didn't start full-time covering the Cubs until like middle of 2014. So I didn't have to suffer through every day. Just personally, I'm talking personally right now. I didn't have to watch bad baseball every day for years on years Uh for my job, right? And and these last two months of covering the Cubs was brutal. And and I don't think many fans watched. Uh, going and covering the games, I'm not going to complain about my job. I love my job. Don't take this as a my job is difficult rant. It's not in the least. Uh, but uh, that was that's not fun to cover. It's not co- fun to cover a team that has very little to play for, uh, has very little talent on the field and and you know in all likelihood they're overmatched and will lose uh fans stop showing up uh cubs fans are not the same uh breed that they were 15 years ago they don't want to watch bad teams anymore it's not you know the biggest it's it's a fun time and it's a destination and wrigley field is a nice place to go hang out it's not the same as it once was though they will lose some some of their fan base as far as regular people going to the ballpark every day. I agree. Something needs to be done. I don't know what it is. I think another aspect that I, I was thinking about while talk while we were all talking, the managers and the coaching staffs that started these rebuilds. Dale Swaim has not gotten another managerial job. Bo Porter has not gotten another managerial job. I don't know what Brandon Hyde's mental state is, but I can't imagine he's in the most positive of places uh, <laughs> during the summer, right? So, like, the mental toll on the managers, uh, on the players, the I used to disagree with this, but the more I'm around players, the more I talk to them, I think this is real. Uh, you like losing becomes acceptable and ingrained in you and there's a it wears you down and and, and it changes the type of player you are I, I don't like that aspect of it uh the, you know I, I'm not saying Dale Swain and Bo, Bo Porter de- deserve managerial jobs I have no idea the game's completely changed and and the 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 job is completely changed uh, since those guys uh held their positions I understand that I'm just saying there, there's other uh, there's other ways that this impacts people in, in the team, and who knows how that altered their careers. This is my 20. I just finished my 21st season covering the Baltimore Orioles. 18 of them have been non-winning seasons. Hmm. Um, it is brutal. It is absolutely brutal, and it gets it seems <laughs> to get worse every year. And I get paid to watch them. Okay, I actually, you know, they they give me a paycheck to watch them. These fans who come out, they don't, and they're coming out less and less every year. Because they know that the team they're watching isn't going to be very good. And a lot of the fans that come out are from you know, New York or, or Boston or maybe even Toronto now. There are, there are reasons you have to win. And the number one thing is to continue to perpetuate for the fan base that this is a destination. This is some place to go. You know, it's, you know, Camden Yards is up there. It's not Wrigley Field, but it's certainly up there as a destination. 
But to keep this team here, to keep people interested, they have to be good at some point, and they have to sustain it. And that's what Mike Elias is trying to sell to the Orioles fan base is we're not just going to try to be good for a year or two. We're going to try to be good, sustain it for five, ten years. Oh, and hey, look at the Astros. They did it, and their fans came back. And, I mean, if if I had a dollar for every time the Astros <laughs> were talked about in Baltimore, I, I probably I think, would buy um, the team right now. The bigger picture issue, <laughs> I – there are, there are like some pretty easy mechanisms they could put in, right, that would curb or incentivize being spending, even if you plan on being bad, right, and being that 75-win team. Um, I guess I just, like, I don't, maybe I don't think it's as big of an issue now as it was five years ago. Like, the Orioles are still there. There's still some really bad teams, but... I think we also use tanking as like a catch-all for just like bad. Sometimes they're not trying to tank and they're just bad. Um, the Orioles are clearly tanking, but in other cases, uh, like I think the Phillies have been actually trying to be good and they're just 81 and 81 every year or somewhere around it. Um, so I don't know. I think there's other a lot of other issues in the CBA that are are bigger right now and might actually like in uh, down the road. Like if you if you change the economic structure of how players are paid, you might lead to it might lead to some kind of fix of tanking on its own right but there's always going to be bad teams and good teams there's always going to be buyers at the deadline and sellers at the deadline um i think that part of baseball is here to stay right and it always it's always going to be a thing in, in every sport but i think kind of the bigger issue that evan seems to be harping on is more like the like could the orioles you know spend 20 million in free agency just to do it and maybe there's a way that base like like what Dan mentioned with a salary floor, you could put that in. Um, but but they want to. Yeah, cap. the problem with the salary floor, the, the players would want it. Um, the owners would only give it with a cap, right? And the players are not going to uh, go down that road. So, you know, the the owners made a proposal that had a, f- a functional floor and uh, brought down the, the CBT threshold to 180, you know, and that, that reads to the players functionally like a cap. It, w- it wasn't formally the same type of system that they have in the NBA and the NFL, but uh, that's, you know, the players don't want to cut off their head to, uh, you know, bring up, um, bring up that bottom. But, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a – besides the element of how much owners spend and how much this saves them, you know, when when you're going through this rebuild, you don't have to spend anything. Uh, I think that's I think that's really important. But then it does go back to this underlying question of spirit of competition and, and the sport. And um, shouldn't shouldn't we all be trying? I think we I think we all did a very good job trying here today. And I want to want to thank everybody for coming up. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We're less than three weeks away from a possible lockout, so keep an eye on this space we're going to have possibly more intense conversations to be had coming up as they zero in on that december 1st deadline for the expiration of the cba up next on the athletic baseball show podcast feed is the baseball barista with hunter pence and grant brisby remember you can save 33 percent off a subscription to the athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show i'll see you next week 